Hey, welcome. My name is Paul, and you're about to dive into another episode with my muddy buddy sharing their dirty little secret. Remember, as long as you're lurking and listening, you're in on our secrets. Hey, how are you? (laughs) I'm good, Paul. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome to the adult section of what I refer to as a human library for Muddy Buddy Secrets. I love this. <laughs> Listen, for those, for the sake of those that are eavesdropping, or as I like to say, lurking and listening in the library, uh, this past fall through Douglas College, I took the end of life doula course, and that's where we met. You were and I still consider you are, my teacher, professor extraordinary, Tracy Chalmers. Thank you. That does make me a little bit uncomfortable because honestly, in facilitating that course and all the things that we share, all the stories and experiences of people's love and loss and grief, um, honestly, the role of um, facilitator, which I prefer over teacher and uh you know, the one being, you know, being in the role of the student honestly just flips back and forth all the time because, um, yeah, there's, there's so much learning and sharing. So thank you. But it was an amazing class, amazing group of people to get together, you know, and I mean, even through like zoom, I mean, how, uh, (laughs) ridiculous I did feel bad that because probably the, there's a good portion of us on there that, um, we're of a generation that uh, we were used to just classroom, but uh, you managed to help us through it. You always stayed calm when we had techno issues, and uh, I always found that amazing. Grace around technology is a must these days, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it true? Isn't it so true? Well, listen, let's just cut to the chase because uh, that's why people are listening. So, uh, as I told you ahead of time, there's only really two questions I talk about and ask people about. And the first question for you is this, if your life, Tracy Chalmers, up to this point were a book, what would you, what would you title it? Or what would the title be? I love this. And I will answer you, but I just have to say a huge thank you for this invitation to consider my life as a book so far, because it was a fascinating exercise and I recommend it to everyone. It was so interesting. And creative. And I found it was really loaded with self-compassion as well. And it was just so beautiful to connect and see how I feel like the beginning of my life has led me perfectly to here, which feels like right where I'm supposed to be. So Mm. making those connections was really, really uh, beautiful. And it really makes me think of what we talked about in the doula course, the life review that um, doulas often do with clients at end of life and how healing it is to go back and review your life in this way um, because it provides meaning making and I really found that this exercise provided the same value and I've already shared this prompt with my doula class and um, <laughs> and uh, it's similar to something else I sometimes ask people to do which is to write their own obituary which can be mm-hmm a huge exercise. So this feels a little less heavy and more playful. And I'm actually considering using this life as a book invitation with the people I'm supporting at end of life in the future. So I'll let oh. you know. 
<laughs> that would be awesome. I remember in the course when you did ask us to write our own obituary, that was really, it. you know, as much as people say, oh, well, yeah, that's pretty easy. Like, it's not because you really do have to look back on your life, you know, and uh, sort of, oh, wow. Yeah. Let's bring it down into a sort of a newspaper nutshell. You know, It's mm-hmm. like not easy. But anyways, tell me about your book title. All right. So um, after, you know, really thinking about this, I have decided that my book title is simply Wildflower. Mm. There, there is a subtitle, maybe two, um, listening into natural wisdom and remembering how to show up wild, bringing all of who you are to what you do. Wow. I love that. I love that. Showing up wild. That is so good. That is good. Okay, so uh, what about chapters that are a must read in this book? All right. Well, I thought chapter five, um, which is called System Crashes, (laughs) would probably be super, super juicy if people want like, you know, something juicy and, you know, full of drama, Uh, basically (laughs) a time in my life where I felt like it was a complete death of the life that I had built. Um, And it provided a lot of um, metabolizing my own grief, which allowed for a lot of leftover compost that sort of made the wildflower possible. So it was a really, um, a really uh, heavy and like, yeah, I basically came in undone in that chapter, but it's allowed me to um, become the wildflower that I am today. There's people probably like myself going, I got to buy this book and go right to chapter five. I got to find out what those crashes were. (laughs) Those are her dirty little secrets. I want to know. (laughs) Turn right to chapter five. You know, without getting into too much, it was, you know, it really what I, when I reflected on my life, I, I'm, I find that, or I found that, you know, it was really losing myself because of the expectations that I, um, I felt, uh, things I mm. should be that I sort of betrayed my inner wisdom being. So it, it really led to the system crash of um, a divorce and losing sort of my community, which, and my family changed because of my divorce and that mm. lot, you know, the loss of identity uh, and then my dad died. So it was just a, a big time of metabolizing grief. And I, I literally did that. I remember those that year um, of just sitting in my living room each morning and just like sitting with all of that loss and all of those emotions that are grief. It's so complicated and so unpredictable and such an, an isolating time, but just sitting mm-hmm. with all that comfort and I really believe it was the ability to do that that has led me to a life that I could have never imagined before and and sometimes I think when because as you were talking about that I thought you know of my own life you know also a chapter five of system crashes (laughs) but um you know I I've discovered now that as I look back like you that if you I mean, I think everybody goes through a, a system crash. 
mm-hmm. whether they want to admit it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the whole thing of just sitting back and saying, okay, I need to take some time to assess all this, you know? Yeah. And, and like you talked about the, um, uh, <laughs> what was left over, you know, sort of be, it, 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 I, I, sort of the, the, the poop of the matter, the crap that's left over, you could use that to grow the next, you know, the, the wildness of, of the rest of you, you know, yeah. but, but looking at the whole thing. And, and I know we talked about this in the class as well was, you know, life is, is not crisp and clean, you know, whether life or the beginning of life or the end of life, it's, or the middle, it's, it's messy, you know, messy. That's actually my other subtitle. Um, beautiful, messy, and unique. (laughs) (laughs) I may steal that title too. No, because I I was saying to a friend the other day, Tracy, like he was, he was going, he was saying, oh, look at, look at this. We were walking through the woods and he was just saying, wow, you know, look at that tree. It's so gorgeous and, and how big it is. And, you know, you just, I just want to take a picture of it. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, it's really interesting. I said, as gorgeous as you see that tree is, if you look up close, look at the knots in that thing and look at the broken branches and all these. And he said, yeah, but you don't see that. I said, aha, we do that for everything else but our lives. You know, we, we see people and we judge them on the base of, you know, not necessarily a knot on their head or anything like that. But we look at the, whether they've been through divorce or whatever and we don't see them as beautiful, you know, we don't see them as picturesque, but I think we need to. It's like, yeah, but stand back and take a look at Tracy's whole life. And the end, wow, you know, now capture that. Yeah. <laughs> That's worth capturing. I love that. So more chapters? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So I thought chapter seven would be a good read. Um, it's called Uniquely Wild. And it really, when I thought about that, it was sort of after the system crash, after what I refer to as years of remembering. So that's kind of like the years that followed the system crash, where I really got in touch with my essence and like really reflected on the stories that I hold and what stories culture provides and are they serving me? Maybe I want to put them down and really being intentional about what matters most and what stories Mm. I move forward with. So the uniquely wild chapter is really like, I kind of arrived at this place where I really embraced uh, this wildness. um, And I I really had this sense of ease where like, I don't really have to work at it. And I could just sort of Mm. simply be me. I felt really rooted, clear. I felt supported and I felt loved. And I felt like my heart was, tender in a way it had never been before it was like this sort of like a deepened sense of compassion um mm-hmm. self and also for others so I think it really opened me up to the work I'm doing now this you know desire to be of service and really knowing we need each other and that you know this sense of interbeing really makes things better when we can be connected and yeah, it was just this way that I was available for myself and others in a way I hadn't been before. Really clear and and really wild. It was uh, that's uniquely wild. 
Definitely, definitely. But I and I, and I think it. People that are lurking and listening to this, I, I think it. it uh, you know, it, it resonates with them. You know, I think that's there's part of it is a is a desire of many many people's lives to be you know that uniquely wild. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this. You know, when when I always every time I think of like wildflowers and plants, we've been talking. Ben and I've been talking about what we're going to do with our backyard here, mm-hmm. uh, the little backyard we have, and you know whether we want, you know, and we look at some of our neighbors and everything is so neat and tidy and, you know, <laughs> rows and stuff like that. And we're thinking things like how about wild grasses and, you know, let some of this, and, and we're both sort of, yeah, yeah, that's because I think that also is reflective of who we are, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, although some of my friends in the East say, Oh, you people in British Columbia, <laughs> you know? I said, I know we're all squirrel huggers and tree kissers or tree kissers and squirrel huggers, but <laughs> we're happy out here. We're happy out here. A little wild, but we're happy. Um, <laughs> do you think, uh, like, like you did mention that, about the, the fact that it sort of prepared you for the work that you're presently doing in, in sitting with people and the families in their, their, their final days uh, on, on, on the plant? Yeah, it really did. I think it's like, because I really felt like that system crash. I really, it was like a complete death of who I was. Um, and, and that allowed me to sort of chart my way into alignment to what really matters the most for me. And mm-hmm. it kind of gave me the courage to bring the gift of all of who I am to what I do. And, and it was through losing everything that I was able to find that gift. And it was sort of this weird mix of feeling like I was really in my power, but I was also mm-hmm. really, really vulnerable. Um, so I, I remember mm-hmm. like tiptoeing into the work because this was all new and I wasn't sure. And, and it, it required a lot of trust, but I think just knowing, I just always felt like I was where I should be. So it led me into volunteering at my local hospice, which was, um, I guess, eight or nine years ago, I started that. Um, And that it kind of feels like breadcrumbs. And then it led me into taking the doula course that you took um, back in Mm -hmm. 2017. And then that's led me to my doula practice, which has really, you know, expanded my area of interest into grief work and supporting Mm -hmm. others to become grief literate and um, the idea of creating more compassionate communities for people to share their grief and, um, you know, it just comes back to helping others by simply being me and, and really encouraging others to do the same. Like, let's just cut through all the BS and, yeah. you know, we're here for such a brief time. And when you work with people who, who it becomes instantly clear what matters most. And, you know, mm. it's not always what our culture tells us it is, right? Right. Um, So with death being my teacher, I feel so clear on, you know, at the end of the day, people ask, you know, was I loved? And did I love? Mm -hmm. It always comes back to love. It always comes back to relationships. And if we can live into that, uh, Mm -hmm. really into love and what's most important, then, you know, we're doing what I aim to help people do, which is we die well because we live well. And uh, exactly. Yeah. So. And and I think when you say that, and I remember in the the course, I I remember reflecting a lot 
after classes and thinking, why does it take us all so long? Why do we have to wait till the, you know, I mean, why can't we catch on to this earlier as opposed to here I am with the last two weeks of my life. Yeah. Comes down to love, you know? And it's like, gosh, why we need to pick this up a bit, folks, give ourselves a shake and say, no, let's, let's make it important now. You know, what's really important in your life, you know, and, and I think that's part of the thing of the crash is, is almost like the universe is giving you an opportunity to say, Hey, this is a little bit of a shake Yeah, to say, you don't have as much time as you think you do. And possibly you might catch on to a few things that will help you live a much more productive life. You know, I mean, you as well as myself, I mean, as a former clergyman, when I would sit at people's, you know, uh, by people's bed and they were in their final hours, they never once said, I wish I had to work a few more hours, you know, wish we'd have bought a bigger house. You know, It was never that. Or the kids going, oh, dad, you really failed us. Like, why didn't we have holidays, you know, in the Bahamas? Why did we only have camping holidays? Never stuff like that. You know, so let's catch on early. Let's catch on early. And, you know, another another one. I love that everything you said. Yes, 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 yes. And I and I think, you know, it's our culture that makes us so hard. It's the capitalism that tells us, you know, work hard, buy more, you need more. And that cycle that we're all so part of. And, you know, this is so in us that it's really hard to to, uh, you know, become aware. But um I love and one of the things that you're talking about too, like the regrets of the dying. The one that really gets me is there was a woman named Bronnie Ware that, that wrote a book called the top five regrets of the dying. And number five is like number one, two, and three are the kind of like what you said. It's like, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. You know, mm-hmm. I wish I lived a life according to what was important to me and not what, what others thought. Um, but number five is I wish I, I wish I would have, allowed myself to have more or to be happy, be more happy. I wish I would have allowed myself to be more happy. And that one always just like blows my mind. Like, and it's really sent me on this um, mission for pleasure. Like why not do it just because it's pleasurable. And, you know, I I love that idea of living intentionally and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, focusing on what matters most and, we just said love and people, but I, mm-hmm. I put pleasure in there too, right up at the top. Yeah. I, I never know. thought about that. Yeah. But that is good. Eh? Yeah. That's true. We almost feel like it's, Oh, oh, uh, and I've heard people say, Oh, oh, I'm having too much fun. This isn't right. Like, <laughs> what? What? What do you think you're here for? You're not, you're not sweating enough. That's your problem. You need to sweat and stress more, yeah. you know? As opposed, it's okay to, you know, I mean, uh, and I know with, uh, and I, I use my, my partner, Ben, <laughs> that poor man, I mean, with me, I mean, he just at times just shakes. I remember the, one of the first times we went into the grocery store and I don't even know what song, it was a song playing in the fifties. Well, I started to sort of like dance with the cart and, you know, and he's looking at me going, Oh my God. (laughs) I'll be over in the next aisle after you take your meds and get up. But I just said, you know what? Life's too short, you know? And I said, the little kids in the other carts were sure enjoying the dance, you know? For you. I love that. But we just, but he's, as he said, he said, 
Paul's really helped me just loosen up and just, yeah. we're having fun. We're just doing it. Why? For no other reason than it's just fun. Yeah. It's just fun. You know, uh, so, whether, and, and like you said, it's not dependent on anybody else. It's I'm having fun. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, exactly. It's really, yeah. That pure, pure fun. It, it, yeah. I, I was actually kind of taken aback this morning. I was walking my son to school and I, came I came back by myself and I'm walking along a trail behind my house and this woman that was walking at a faster pace than me passes me and she's by herself no headphones or anything just walking um and singing and then Mm. she like put her arms out to the side and I was just like wow that's uh it like it really struck me as being unusual but just so beautiful because it was she was just in her own little world just singing along and uh anyways well, it's and uh, anytime now I hear people say, you know, in their own little world. Um, when my grandson was here over the uh, the Christmas holidays, he's six years old. So we decided Papa and he would go all the way by by Sky Train to down to the waterfront and cross over on the boat, you know. So we went over to the other side to the market, and we, but when we got on the boat, I said, "See, you and Papa came." across the water taxi there and we you know there's vancouver and over and he looked at me and he made this statement he said papa can you see my world from yours wow and it really i know he what he was saying you know can you see ottawa from here but it just has never left me it was just like a two by four in the head (laughs) it was like can you see my world from you know yours and i've started using that for for other people, like if I see the, you know, like you saw, and I thought, wow, I get a rare glimpse into somebody else's world, Yeah, you know, walking along a path, singing lost in their own world, but I can see it. And so I, you know, it makes me happy, you know, wow, what a nice world they live in, you know? So, yeah. So I'm constantly asking myself now, you know, Papa, can you see my world? You know, which is, you know, curiosity, vulnerability, the whole bit, you know, but I think that's why, you're you are like you you are i mean you 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 have an ability to help people to see into other people's world you know good bad or ugly (laughs) and i'm sure you could tell enough stories to fill more than one book (laughs) on all your experiences in you know people's final hours and their families because you know as we all know there's nothing neat and clean about death that's for sure add a will and get out the guns. Yeah. 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 And in some ways it's all the same, you know, and I don't, I mean, like obviously every experience is unique, but I, I just cannot believe how similar, like how, like, you know, how similar it is in Mm -hmm. how it unfolds, um, how gentle it usually is. And a lot of people are, are often surprised to hear that. And how, you know, I think that the things that that bubble up are are the same. There's always, you know, enormous grief and loss. There's always mm. sadness, and there's always it's hard. Like it's like labor, but at the end, so there's you know a lot of um, it's not an easy process. And those are the things we know. But there's also so much beauty. Um, there's so much connection. Mm-hmm. There's so much love. There's so much um, 
genuineness because there it's the only thing there's time for. And I, I love the authenticity of that um, mm. time. And I think, you know, really my role as a doula, I see it as being somebody that can just be a companion and be a witness and help the people that are experiencing that enormous um, event um, to really see that whole story um, because it's so easy to get really caught up in the horror of it all. And that's mm -hmm. definitely a reality, but there's so much more. And, and I love that concept of, you know, being there to be witnessed and then to pull those threads of beauty and love and connection and not, not in a way that you're denying anything, but mm -hmm. you are, you're highlighting them and saying, wow, look at this. This is so inspiring to see how you've all come together. And, you know, just highlighting that, I think, um, really um, changes things for the people that are in it and maybe don't have the ability to lift their heads up from their loss. Mm -hmm. And then I think moving forward, um, you know, it helps people have a story that is supportive to hold and um, not as, uh, you know, full of pain. So I, yes. I really see that as part of the role of, of a doula is almost being a story catcher. I, there's three different terms I, I learned from my friend, Megan, uh, story catcher, story, mm -hmm. story weaver and storyteller. So then to, to catch the stories, to sort of weave one that's, you know, accurate, but mm -hmm. beautiful. And then um, to, to tell those back. Um, yeah, that sort of. I love it. Mm -hmm. But and I, I, I learned so much in, in, in the course as well, listening to other people, mm -hmm. you know, and where they were at and just, you know, the whole dealing of death, you know, and how it's been dealt with in their families. And, you know, again, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's like, you know, stuff that never got said or stuff that never should have been said or, you know, I mean, but it was like, wow, so real, but yet out of it. You can see, you know, the whole story, you know, gets there's a there's a weaving of a beautiful story there. Yeah. You know, and if we can open our eyes and see, wow, what a wonderful story. Everybody, you know, I, I mean, part of me, that's why I've done I do this whole thing of, you know, um, creating a human library, you know, where people just tell your story, you know. Mm -hmm. Like what's the title of your book? What would be, you know, with the full knowing that, hey, changing the title after five years i've decided to change the title perfect you know or bringing out second book great <laughs> <laughs> but um the the other part that i want i you touched on and i, I want to bring it up again is this whole aspect of grief because i think that's where um by the end of the course i was like wow okay that's the connection i've i'm, I'm supposed to make because mm -hmm. i think Wow, there are so many people grieving. You know, I, I have a friend, uh, Peter and his wife, Patricia, they are in Paris, France, and they deal every day with helping the, the misplaced, um, the misfits, the disabled, wow. uh, the homeless uh, that are, I mean, and, and Tracy, they're pouring in from whether it's Ukraine or, 
the other countries around that with refugees and, and just, you know, living with that, you know, grief, we've lost everything, you know, and, and hearing some of the stories they tell. And I think, wow, that's, that's grief. Like I've never known it before. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, friends of mine, uh, one that was, uh, on the podcast a little while ago, Paul Filsinger, he and his wife, Sharon, you know, lost their son to suicide just a few years ago, you know, 26 years of age. You know, he talks about, you know, hand dealing with the grief as a man, you know, that was just so touching. I I just loved hearing him. His wife wrote me one of the night, most beautiful emails, just saying, thank you, you know, for, you know, allowing my husband to share. And I said, Oh no, it's, I thank you because, you know, sometimes people don't hear that aspect of it. You know, I mean, we, we, like Paul brings up, it's, you know, we, we say some really, you know, what a selfish act or something like that. But, you know, beyond that, I mean, that as they walk with grief, you know, uh, I mean, he, we were supposed to do a program and then he had, he just said, he phoned up the day of and said, I can't do it today, Paul. I, I'm just, I said, that is not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an issue with me, you know, um, whenever you feel so, you know, or my friend Kelly, whose son shot at point blank range, you know, and walking through the grief, you know, not having the, you know, oh, I reached 96 years of age and said goodbye to him, Yeah, you know he was taken from me, you know, and and just some of the stories you share. So all that to say, let's talk more about grief and what you've learned and and what you're looking to learn. Oh, you know, I, I was up just in what you shared. And I think, you know, what you're doing is offering an enormous service because I can understand why Paul's wife reached out to you because, you know, really the only I say the word medicine, but I, this is not meaning grief is a pathology, but I'm going to use the word medicine because I think it's just, it drives this point home in a clear way. But the only medicine for grief is, is seeing and hearing people, feeling Mm. with people, that's empathy. So what you're doing with this fun little, you know, podcast is you are allowing people that choose on days when they feel available, which um, is important um, to share their grief. Um, For Mm -hmm. me, even talking about, you know, my chapter five, I really haven't reflected on that since I was in it. And the exercise just simply of, of considering it and then sharing it with you just felt so liberating. And, and I was ready and it was right for me today. And, you know, so really when people feel seen and heard, um, mm. that's the medicine for grief. And I think it seems almost too easy. And I, and, you know, but if we can, as people that hope to serve those who are grieving, really, mm. really understand this and, and really trust this, it would really yes. change the way we show up for each other. And um, it's, it's not hard. We can all do it. We, it's just allowing people to feel seen and heard and feeling with others. And what does that look like? It it looks like, tell me more about that. It looks like allowing people who are grieving to do their own thing, understanding that grief is wild and um, making Mm. yourself available for when they are ready to be companioned in their grief. 
And then it's just putting yourself aside and showing up with your feet flat on the floor and your heart wide open and acting like a sieve and letting what people share flow through you. Like you talk of your friends in France and you think, oh, how could I, how could they, you know, take in so much grief? But if you're intentional um, and, and well boundary to let you can really feel with people um, and not hold on to it. If you can mm -hmm. be sort of aware that it's someone else's and what you're doing is um, an act of service. So you're feeling, but not holding, but uh, yeah, I'm just nuts about grief because I see it just as an enormous opportunity. And as you know, I, my, um, partner Willow and I, we started a little venture called the grief well and mm -hmm. really what we seek to do is create more space in communities. And so we're working on some stuff that, you know, that we're going to be rolling out in the next little while. But, you know, I think ultimately I, I, I love Martin Kretschel. He, he wrote a book called the smell of rain on dust. And it just, it cracks me up because he says that, um, grief is like someone our parents warn us not to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. that. I love that. And so we're also, you know, reluctant, but and especially in our culture, and we're told that if you know something's uncomfortable, it means something's wrong. And you know, grief really is uncomfortable. So it, we mm -hmm. feel like we have to get out of it or not share it with other people. But it's really a natural response to loss. And like my chapter five illustrates, it's not always a death. It, you know, and I think right. that's biggest source of confusion in our culture around grief is that many of our greatest losses in my case my divorce which is something I right. chose I chose it I it was my leaving the marriage but it's my largest loss and because it wasn't really um, made space for that like people didn't I didn't feel supported in it because people I think around me thought I was choosing it and it got complicated but you know, I think when we understand it can be anything that we lose that we care about. Grief is a natural response to losing something or mm -hmm. someone that we love. And, and, and like you said, like it, giving ourselves permission to grieve, yeah. you know, to say or to say to those around us, it's, you know, I, I, I'm, it's just one of those days. I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really just grieving. You know, uh, it, it's come out of the blue, but I just need a chance to, you know, grieve. And, you know, and, and, but as you said, I mean, now you look back on your chapter five, you know, and, so, and sometimes when I, when I do that for myself, you know, and it's like, oh, wow. Sometimes when I think about those things, like, is that, did that really happen to me? Or was that somebody yeah. else's story I'm telling? Because it, it, only because I've dealt with the grief, you know yeah. what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, okay, well, that was a part of my life. But now I can see that the manure out of that has fed this that I'm over here and could be a reason I'm flourishing. You know, this Absolutely. wild plant is flourishing a little bit more is because it happened, you know. Well, and not only did it happen, but it was that, I think it was the sitting with it. It was that... Mm extension that part of like sitting in the living room every morning because you know I think because we try to get out of those feelings we distract ourselves or numb ourselves that's just you know easy and um and when we don't acknowledge um our pain or it's unheard it, mm. doesn't, it doesn't go away right like 
And if we try to erase it before it's had time to go away, we kind of get this backlog of grief in our hearts. Mm. I think, or another analogy is like a wound. If you have, you know, a wound that closes up too soon, it hasn't been tended to, that's, it becomes infected and it doesn't heal. Or we see things like depression and anxiety and dullness and despair. So it's really, I think about honoring the needs of the soul during times of grief. And I know that sounds maybe out there for some, but it kind of comes back to, um, you know, just listening to yourself. Um, I think that's Mm. part of being wild is just, you know, listening to your body and, you know, what is right for you in this moment. And um, I think that's sort of what I mean when I say the needs of the soul. Do we all have our own internal timing and grief is so individual. And um, so to really take the time and breathe and and ask, you know, how can you best care for yourself in this moment? Mm -hmm and then follow through. I really think that, uh, that. And one of the other, uh, the other thing along that line that you, I, I was so happy to hear in the course is what we talked about, like, you know, there are, you know, stated stages of grief, but I liked how you brought out that, you know, it's not like, you know, this is first, this is second, this is third. I mean, first could be third, third could be first, you know, it, 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 you, it can't be put neat and tidy, you know, step one, step two, step three, you know, so that your friends say, oh, I read a book on grief and you're at stage three. You've got two more to go. Wouldn't that be uh, nice you know, if we could do that? If we could tidy it would be nice. in those little boxes and we could be like, okay, I'm here. Now I'm moving here. Oh, that would be so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I was uh, in, in, uh, using my chapter, going through my chapter five, the people that I started to avoid were the people who would say, you know what, you just need to stop thinking about this and get your mind on something else, you know, because inside I'm thinking, yeah, well, I wish I could because I'm trying to do other stuff, but I keep thinking about this that, you know, in this, you know, a, a, a valley that I'm in right now, you know, uh, but, you know, so those are people I started to avoid. So it's, no, no, something tells me I need to deal with this. You know, and then that's when I learned, started thinking of that, that term, like what I need, what the people I enjoy most are the ones I call my valley walkers. You know, they just walk with me through this valley. You don't have to talk. I don't need to hear that there's a light at the end of the tunnel because right now I think it's a train. Um, (laughs) Don't look like Jesus. That's for sure. Um, (laughs) You know, but it, that's when I say, like, and after coming out of it, then I was like, okay, Paul, you need to learn to be a valley walker for some people. You know, when people come along there, it's just an opportunity. I mean, I'm not putting a shingle out for it, but it's, it's like, yeah, like be aware to say, oh, maybe they just need somebody to walk with them through this valley. Just so it's, I know I'm internally feeling alone, but it's nice to have you walking with me. That's you know. It's absolutely everything, you know, and I think that's where we get to that, the difference between grief, which is an uncomfortable feeling that we have when we lose something or someone we love Mm -hmm. and suffering, like suffering is optional. The pain isn't, the pain Mm. is part of what happens when we love, right? You can't get out of it, but that suffering aspect. And when you talk about um, a valley walker, 
you know, I think that's where we, this is why I get so excited about grief is because I think this We can. Okay. I know you're there, Tracy, and you're coming back. Pause for a And we're back. <laughs> okay. I think the universe is saying, Paul, you talk too much. Um, but uh, any more chapters? We got to chapter five, chapter seven. Any other highlight chapters? You know, really the, the last chapter, which is um, chapter nine, and then, of course, the dash. Uh, it's sort of the chapter that's yet to be written. I'm really excited <laughs> about that one. And it's really, for me, just doing my best to be courageous and vulnerable and staying wild and really um, doing what I can to keep my heart soft and available, uh, which means listening. I think uh, listening to self, listening to others, listening to you know, other humans, you listening to nature, past, present, future, anything, you know, just being open and connected. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, that's what I loved about this exercise is thinking, wow, there's more chapters here uh, to be written. And, uh, and so. But I, and, and what an awesome, what an awesome chapter, chapter nine is like, it's like, like you said, the dash, the listening, you know, now, just to learn to listen. It's all about listening. Yes. You know, I mean, of late, I've become more uh, cognizant of just taking time to listen to my breath, listen to my breathing, you know, it, perhaps it's because I'm getting older and the fact I am breathing, that's pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> I haven't stopped. That's good. But no, to go, the, I mean, we live in, uh, here in British Columbia, which is so beautiful. And, and here in Maple Ridge, it's like 10 minute walk. And I'm in the midst of just being able to sit in the midst of the wooded area or by a stream and just listen, yeah. you know. And, and, and I think if we can do that for ourselves, then we afford that to people around us. Because I think, like you say, I think there's a lot of people that just, is anybody listening? Yeah. You know, is, is anybody listening? And, that's and what an honor to be able to say, I'll, I'll listen. I count it a privilege to listen to you. I agree. And all people want to know is they've been like seen and heard. Did you see me? Did you hear me? That's all anybody ever wants to know. And the more I um, go down this rabbit hole of, of the work I do, uh, I, I realize that listening is love because attention, right? It's, it's that witnessing. And like you said already, when we listen to ourself, it's, it's self-love, it's self-compassion because we can be attuned to what's genuine to us and how to best care for ourselves. And there's so much in And when we listen to others, we're loving them because just mm -hmm. like kind of going back to where we started, it's that witnessing piece, allowing people to feel seen and heard. And it allows us to really feel with another, which is um, the definition of empathy. And, uh, and I think listening is, is everything. I really think it's love. It really, it really, really, really is. And, and I think what I like about what you said, Tracy, is it's so simple. You know, there's a simplicity to it, yeah. you know. And, and it, it, it doesn't have to be complex and it doesn't have to. And sometimes I think some of the stuff we go through, 
is just shedding the complexity, you know, I love that. you know, like eh, you get into a relationship where you say, you know what, relationships shouldn't be this difficult, you know, maybe this isn't for me. You know, one of the things that we say uh, in every day around here is, you know, we, we hold on to nothing, you know, and, and we're open to everything. You know, let's just remain open to everything, hold on to nothing. So, you know, I, I mean, you can go crazy with that, but I mean, it's, it's like, no, let's, let's not, you know, if we get something, say, oh man, I got to hold this so tight and never want to let it go. Eh, it might go, you know, some, you know, you, sometimes nothing lasts forever. You know? I love that. that but, sounds so freeing. Yeah. You know, and yet, you know, it's, and, and it's loving towards people you know i i think we've put i think a lot some of our grief is because we've put such pressure on people to perform whether you know i used to i used to hate you know i love doing weddings i I, when i was a pastor i loved doing them you know sometimes my associate would say you know oh wow that was really beautiful and i said yeah sometimes it's nice when you know you tie two people together like that in marriage you're you wrecked two lives instead of four. Cause I could just see where this is going to go. But you know, um, at the other, it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, well, I hope your marriage lasts forever. I mean, 50% of them don't these days, but you know, and that's not very hopeful, but on the other sense, it's like, let's go in with some reality here, folks. You know, yeah. you might yeah. grieve, you might lose a job. I always still say, when people say to, to me, are you afraid of losing your job? I said, listen, I was looking for a job when I found this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, you know, I mean, sometimes when you, I've often said to people, and I just had a situation in a place with somebody that I was working with. And, you know, I said, you know, the greatest thing you're going to do is move on to that next position. You're going to thank this place that they encourage you to do that because you're about to come into mm-hmm. something that's going to make you extremely happy, you mm-hmm. know? And sometimes, sometimes it's, that's what it is, you know, we're, cause we just try to hold on to everything and, you know, and I'm sure that's part of what you see as a, as an, an end of life doula, you know, is people trying to hold, you know, get the person to hold on to their breath one more, one more, one more. But it's like, it does come a point where it's like, we have to let go. It's time to go. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, then there's a, a grieving process that starts. And then all of us need to just go out and buy Tracy's book, which is not in print yet, but please keep tuning into these podcasts because it will be on a shelf. Amazon will be sold out most of the time. <laughs> and, and I will say it publicly, Tracy, you have my commitment. I want to be a part of what you and Willow are doing because I actually think it's very key well, you to know this I, present I- world. I really, building on what you said earlier briefly, I really agree with you. There needs to be more safe spaces for men to share their grief in this world, especially. And I I would really love to consult with you on creative ways that we can figure out how to uh, make that happen in a way that will support um, all the men out there, because I really see it being necessary. So I promise I will be in touch in the next little while um, to brainstorm about that. And, and yes, I'm absolutely committed to it. Tracy, I am so thankful that our path has crossed. Me too. 
I just, uh, it's like, you're a friend that is just, I can see you, meet you. We pick up where we last left off. What we have yet to do is do this in person. We've done it through video, through the recording of podcasts, emails. We are going to just uh, make a time and uh, maybe you, Willow, and I can sit down and, you know, talk more because uh, having met Willow at that briefly, it was I can I can just sense the same energy, you know, that you two build off of each other. It's it's excellent. Yeah. But thank I, you for taking time for us, you know, stepping perfect. into the it's like a wacky people library, but you know, your top of shelf, you know, <laughs> it's the adult section. <laughs> I love it, Paul. And you know, you keep doing your your oh so important work of this beautiful witnessing and honoring the messiness of being human. It's just so needed. I, I love this little project. And it was just such an honor to be here and share my messiness with with you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tracy. Love you. And uh, we will be in touch. Sounds good, Paul. Enjoy the rest of your day. You Bye, too. Everybody. Bye. <laughs> and we're back for part two. <laughs> I never panic. <laughs> I have we have this great I have this great producer and he just like puts these things together I said well it's just a washroom break that's all you know Tracy got tired of talking to me folks and she left she does yeah. laugh <laughs> I, I was in grief <laughs> I don't know if you thought what I was talking about too but I was talking about um not leaving like showing up and not leaving if you're feeling uncomfortable so that was a uh, hilarious timing actually well that's what i thought you had that oops did she leave or did i leave oh i've made her feel uncomfortable <laughs> impossible um let's continue to talk if you've got a few more minutes that'd be great yeah. i know you're a busy person <laughs> i try not to be actually well, we all try, but this, it's the demands of people. Kids have to eat uh, anyway. So, so uh, with your with grief, I mean, let's just continue on where you know where you were saying about you know we need to give people permission to you know either not show up or ourselves to I I, I just can't show up at this point you know mm -hmm. um, and and forget you know I, I it's it's when people say, you know, oh, we'll just get over it or it's time to move on. It's like, uh, you don't decide that. Mm -hmm. I decide that, you know, and it's okay. You know, uh, you know, just think about something else. Like I said, it's not always easy to think about. And like you said, it's not necessarily even death of, you know, a loved one or a personal friend, you know, it could be a situation or job loss or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so where, where do you see yourself going with the, with this whole study in grief? You know, really, uh, Willow and I just really want to create more space for people to, um, share their grief in community, because when we look at, you know, how people can really heal, um, which my definition of that is just take all the little bits they can of themselves and bring them together. Um, mm. you know, like all those you know, those fractions, uh, fractionated parts of ourselves. And so part of this grief work is, is being in community. So it's important for people like grief naturally, I think is isolating because no one can really understand what you're going through. 
So, you know, to be with your feelings and, um, you know, really tune into how, what's alive in you and how you can best tend to yourself and care for yourself is one piece. But the other piece is sharing your grief with others when it feels right. And not everyone deserves to hear your grief either. So it needs to feel safe. And so what Willow and I are doing is we are just creating a framework for some very um, simple grief circles. It's a, a, an eight-week um, curriculum, if you will, of grief gatherings that are very spacious. They're, you know, a little, little, little bit of education on what grief is and what it isn't, really um, encouraging people to to honor what's real inside of themselves and honor that it's unique. And then we are, uh, the circles also involve um, a prompt for writing uh, and there's ways for people to engage a bit more and reflect and then to share in a circle and then just some beautiful silence, just allowing people to be together after their grief has been shared and witnessed and to just be together in silence and feel that sense of connectedness and community and um, feel held essentially. And um, what our hope is, is to, um, because like I've already said, you know, we all have what it takes to hold space for others' grief and mm-hmm. people that are called, maybe you, Paul, um, <laughs> to, to really be a valley walker or a witness, um, they mm-hmm. can do a, a brief facilitator training um, with us and then open up grief circles in wherever you know they are. Maybe it's in a workplace, maybe it's a book club that shifts into a grief circle for you know a little uh, eight weeks, maybe it's a hospice, maybe it, it just to really uh, encourage more space for grief. And uh, so we are looking to just share um, what we believe to be supportive with others so that they can create these spaces in their in their communities. It's a compassionate communities initiative. And we have a little workbook too that we're creating that goes with the weekly sessions that encourages people to consider doing this sort of grief work, if you will, like being in relationship with their grief in creative ways because grief, mm. you know, it's, it's, um, it lives in our bodies so we can paint it out. We can write it out. We can yes. dance. It out, we can sing it out. We can, you know, speak to the earth or just put our feet on the ground. There's so many ways that we can, um, you know, work with our grief and express it so that it uh, is no longer holding us. So it can be transformed into life force essentially. So, yeah, so there'll be a workbook and, um, and we're also, we have a little project where, um, if people want to express their grief visually, um, maybe something like you said, some people are holding grief that they've held for a lifetime and mm-hmm. it's never too late. People can write letters, they can um, yep. paint, they can, you know, write poems, whatever. But we um, offer witnessing. We have a little community at the Grief Well called the Grief Well Village. And people have submitted beautiful pieces of art um, that have wow. been from their grief and some poems. 
and we share it um, with our community, um, really with the belief again that um, witnessing, being seen and heard in your grief when you're ready is really um, a beautiful salve. It's interesting, uh, and I don't know why I didn't think this before. I used to work at, and I think I did mention about, I used to work at Baycrest. At, when I was there, I mean, it, it's the largest uh, care facility, a Jewish care facility, in, in, I think, in North America. And yeah. the majority of patients that were there uh, when I was there back in mid-2000 was um, people that had come out of the Holocaust, had survived the Holocaust, and now they were in a care facility. But one of the floors alone was all given to like art, woodwork, and things like that. And, and when I was talking to one of the directors, she said, she said, you know, you see the, these people sitting here doing woodwork and art, some were painting, some were working in clay. I said, yeah, she said, the majority of them have never, ever done anything like that before. And here they are in their 80s. Hmm. And she was talking about color and expression, and she, and she talked about the fact of uh, some of this that they're creating comes out of, it, it's like a release of their grief and the pain of their past. Yeah. And, you know, here they are in their 80s. And, and again, art, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're being creative and giving creative and some beautiful pieces. I mean, and I, I was, I, I looked, one lady that was painting, I, I said to her, this is absolutely gorgeous. This is beautiful. I said, I would, I would love to buy it from you, which she said, you can't, it's mine. I, I it's, it's mine, but I'm having, I said, no, no, it's, it's okay. I don't want to upset you. Cause grief. I'm here to help you. Um, but, um, but it was just, she, she's, and, but she looked at me with a big smile. She said, this is the first painting I've ever done in my life. Oh, she said, I think I should have been an artist. I said, I think you should have. <laughs> she said, yeah, I like it was just, but speaking to what you said, you know, I mean, there's something to that, you know, whether, you know, you get maybe even planting plants or, or whatever, you know, a garden creating anything. Yeah. And, and I think that's the freedom of what you're saying is it, it can be anything, yeah, you know? comes back to the wildness too. I think, you know, we're taught that if, you know, we either cover up the pain or we need to, you know, go sit down face to face with a counselor and don't get me wrong, counselor, grief counselors mm -hmm. are so important. Yep. I refer to grief counselors all the time. And when people get stuck in their grief, it's uh, it's so wonderful that people feel supported with that talk therapy. But For sure. We focused on that for so long and there's this whole other world, you know, and it, it comes back to honoring that natural wisdom, that mm. wildflower nest that we all have of we're, we're all ready enough. We have what we need to heal inside of us already. You know, sometimes we definitely need help sometimes and leaning out is, is so important, but if we can just tune in and listen more and see what's alive in us that, that can really, um, you know, benefit from expressing um, it, it, it's amazing the healing that can come from, from things that are not that traditional talk therapy. And that's really what Willow and I are looking to highlight, um, mm. just in this workbook, like having people explore through, through writing or through music or through, yeah, just so many different ways to engage with life and, and express it. And it's that expressing piece that allows witnessing, so again, it may be that if you just think of that 
what you, you, your little story you told about that woman's first painting, you know, especially considering her complicated past, you know, mm. beautiful release. And it makes me so hopeful to hear about that place that you used to work and that they have a lot, you know, people have access to these um, different, you know, creative um, mm -hmm. It's It's so important. And we're all artists, you know, like, I've never painted either, but since really understanding and expressing myself, yep. I started like collaging and I write mm -hmm. a bit more and I don't show a lot of people, but it's so wonderful to express what's genuine inside. And and I think that's where you've taken the, you know, I mean, when people talk about, oh, joining a grief group, like, is it, you know, more talking or is there you know but to hear that you know in the midst of it it's like no oh, there's a there's a creative aspect that's encouraged you know yeah um <laughs> there's something to be said i i think men and this is probably going to get me in trouble but i think we men have a, a much more difficult oh. time of uh expressing our grief or feeling comfortable in expressing our grief you know so true. And, that's and, and so it's like, we're always like, no, no, everything's great. You know, off the chin, just, uh, you know, hand me another beer there. No, I don't have a problem with alcoholism or grief. No, well, well just give me another beer, you know. Um, but it just to know that, hey, you know, there's, let's talk about it, but let's express it. I mean, you know, I referring uh, only because of my biblical background, you know, uh, I remember the story of when, after Jesus was crucified. Mm -hmm that his disciples who were fishermen after it's all done. And I mean, they're grieving as like, Oh crap. We thought he was going to be like the Messiah and all that. And he's disappeared. What did they do? They said, I'm going fishing. Huh. I'm going back fishing. Why? I think now that I'm listening to you thinking that's how they were handling their grief. Mm -hmm. I'm going back to a lifestyle that was, I was comfortable there, you know, and I can, I can, technically be alone, be, you know, it's creative, productive, just be out there, be quiet, mm -hmm. you know? So there's something to be said of, you know, I just grieve by going fishing. Oh, totally. There's so way. There's just your way. Yeah. It's just, it's but don't you, and don't you think Tracy that's, I think sometimes that's why people like you and Willow, you know, have come to the planet for such a time as this to be able to say, no, 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 no folks, there's no right or wrong way, mm -hmm. you know? You're not, we're not going, we're not here to produce a book that will say this is the all inclusive way to handle grief. Once you've read our book, you will never, ever, ever have any problem with grief again, or you will always be able to hand it to people with the promise that wait till the movie comes out. It's awesome. <laughs> but I think it's like you just, it's, it's okay. Yeah. This is a, this, is this the way you want to express your grief? That's great. Yeah. You know? Like we haven't even, you know, touched the aspect of children, you know, mm -hmm. with how do they handle grief? Right. You know, and, and you know, I, I, there are probably studies out there. They probably handle it a lot better than adults sometimes. Well, I think they if do. they're allowed to. That's just the key. I think adults make it so hard for them because children, because they are wild, you know, they are so much, um, they, they can handle it much better and they handle it different. Children, they, mm -hmm. there's a technology that children um, go into grief like puddles so they can be in it for a moment and then they can hop out and be okay and play. 
So what mm. adults often do is think like, oh, look, my, my child was sad, um, but now they're happy. So they're over. And really, the yeah. experience their grief um, with each mental stage. So, um, and because of this whole puddle analogy, with adults, grief is more like a river. It's just kind of always there and always flowing. Um, but mm. because of it, looks like kids are in and out of it, and because it changes as they mature, I think so often um, adults like to believe um, that kids are okay because their grief looks different and maybe it's intermittent. Um, and I think kids often get, um, you know, not supported um, as well as they could be supported, not encouraged to. Yeah. And uh, adults too, if kids are in a grief puddle, I think so often very well intentioned, but not necessarily what's best for the child is like lift them out of the puddle. Mm. What we're talking about, you're just letting, um, People have their feels, and when they're ready, kids to get out of the puddle on their own, um, because this is how we—it's um, good training for being adults, right? Um, not well. I was just thinking it with your analogy. I mean, you know, I don't know about your your boys when they were little, but I mean, if you came out and they were playing in a puddle, and you just came along and picked them up, they would be, oh, thank God, you got me. I said, no, I'm playing. I want to get messy. And, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so that, for me, it's like when you're saying this, yeah, like, you know, why not let them? I remember when we talk about grief, I remember in doing, you know, pastoral counseling with, um, you know, uh, women that had gone through divorce, they bring, you know, sometimes they bring their children and sit down and, and, so many times, like I would hear the mother say to her son, who was like 10, you know, right in front of me, it's like, but I've told him he's the man of the house now. Yeah. yeah. And just he's, and I was, I, I mean, I moved the child out of the room and said, he's not the man of the house. He's, <laughs> he's the little boy. He will, he's just, I know, but I want him to, no, no, you can't put that on him. That, that's too much weight for a 10-year-old. You know, I said not, nine times out of 10, they think they're, it's their fault their parents got divorced. Yeah. You know, and I said, I used to have to sit down and tell them, no, you're not that, power, that powerful. Yeah. You are not that powerful. You don't have that kind of power. That's, that's between your mommy and your daddy that that happened. But they both still love you. But I, again, you know, you, you create, you're creating a river, you know, mm -hmm. just, Leave it at the puddle, kid. Leave it at the puddle. But I also think that's the whole thing of, of us as adults understanding the world of children, you know, yeah. is getting down and playing with them. My daughter says, Dad, you're the most remarkable person I know that would spend three hours with my sons, you know, through FaceTime. And yeah. I said, oh, no, it's not. She says, no, God, Dad, it's like two, two and a half hours. Like, <laughs> she's, my poor dad, I said, I, I'm not talking. I'm just in their world listening. And... <laughs> <laughs> As I said, when they play, they share other stuff, you know? And I said, the sooner we learn to come into their world and just that's the real world for them is the world of play. And they tell you secrets oh, in the midst that of it. That's you know? so beautiful, Paul. And, you know, absolutely. And if you want to think like, how do we meet our kids with grief? Just exactly what you're talking about. We, if it's someone that died, we, we ask them what they miss the most about their person. And, you know, you might think, like, oh, my gosh, isn't that going to make them sad? But, you know, they're already sad. They've already lost their person. So what makes things better is connection. So saying, what, yeah. do, you, what do you miss most about your person? Or 
whatever it is. And then just listening, like that is how we support kids in grief. We, we don't try to distract them or numb them or mm. topic. We encourage that connection and we hold little hearts when they share what's most intimate with them. Like you um, do so naturally, it sounds like with uh, on your t two, three hour Zoom calls with your grandkids. Ben thinks it's my mental capacity that I can't have an adult conversation, <laughs> but I assure <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, but I think it's, it's, it's truly what you say. It's like, it's like, you just, you deal with it when they want to, you know, but it not feeling like you have to have all the answers. Right. Oh, exactly. Like, like I think somewhere along the line, we got trained that now you're a parent, you have the answers to every question your child will ask. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. I screwed up more kids with things that I thought, you know, like, I remember my son coming to me. Here's confessions of dirty little secrets when he was like four asking me where he came from. Well, my wife was working at that time. Well, I went into the whole thing of child and reproduction and everything with him. Okay. And his eyes are getting like bigger and bigger. And then at the end I said, does that make sense? And he, he looked at me and he said, sort of. And I said, okay. He said, no, well, why I was asking is because my friend Billy said that he's from Ohio. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. I said, forget we had this conversation, but he didn't. And <laughs> I got the, from my former wife thing paul what were you thinking i can't believe that you just told us i know she's always listen to them just listen to them it's not that complicated uh, apparently not but i said at least he's <laughs> wasn't that fun i love having these conversations with my friends hey be sure to subscribe and follow my podcast for more roller coaster wild conversations catch you later <laughs>